Welcome to a special episode of NY Just Fans Podcast with hosts Darren Sharman and Chris. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Just Fans Podcast as we have a special guest. Um, we have a Jets X Factor member, Michael Nania. Um, Michael Nania, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Michael. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> oh, no. I was just going to say thanks, Mike, for uh, thank you, Michael, for uh, joining us and on our little show here. Uh, we put together some tough questions for you, and uh, Sean is going to hit you with them. <laughs> fun questions, nothing hard. Yeah, fun, fun <laughs> questions. I mean, I mean, we're all Jets fans here, so I, yeah, I don't think it would be stuff. an issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I've got all the answers. I think I'm about as well prepared for anything as anybody. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> it is true. I want to hear him. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think, I think um, if we're talking Jets, I think the we got to start with uh, the whole uh, Jamal Adams debacle. What, the, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's just such a complex situation, I think. You know, there are just reasons to to kind of stand with both sides from the Jets' perspective. You know, it makes sense to, you know, just not a lot of players get extended by this point, no matter how good they are. And, I mean, there are a couple examples. We just saw Mahomes, Christian McCaffrey a few months before that. But it's still something that doesn't happen too often. And then, at, so from the Jets' perspective, like, it makes sense to – you know, stay patient, try to get one more cheap year out of him uh, and not extend him to this point. But also from Jamal Adams' perspective, and, and, you know, players across the league are just realizing their power and just being more proactive with trying to get paid. He's the best safety in the league, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel good to play on your rookie deal when you know you've already established yourself as, you know, the best player in, in, at his position as he has. So there are reasons to, to stand with both sides, understand the Jets' perspective and Adams. But I think with this situation, the big thing is just the way Adams has gone about it isn't the most professional way, to say the least, uh, with some of the things he said on Twitter. So from a fan perspective, it's definitely hard to uh, kind of – hard to reason with him with some of the ways he's gone about it. Because usually when players do this, they keep it in-house, they'll request a trade, they'll make it clear they want to leave, but they don't go out and praise Bill Belichick and talk about <laughs> playing with the Jets in the past tense. So it's really odd. And we'll, we'll see if it actually works out for him because, you know, the Jets still have control of him this year. They can, they have his team option for next year. Uh, they can tag him after that. So the Jets still have plenty of control over him. So I'm not sure if his antics are even going to work out. Yeah. Um, that, that, that seems like a long shot. I think that's why he, he pushed, I mean, I, there could be multiple reasons why he was pushing so hard, but probably one of them is being able, uh, just paying attention to the fact that in such a long future um, that the Jets have so much control over him. So uh, he thought pushing that button so hard would, would kind of uh, give him a little bit of attraction, but apparent, apparently not. Joe Douglas is digging in, uh, has dug in his heels. Uh, so we, we, we like that in Jets land. For the most part, um, I think I think if we're going from Adams, I think we should start on the defense here um, and go to probably one of the biggest uh, question marks on the Jets team. Even last year, um, there's the cornerback room. Um, the uh, Joe Douglas really um, kind of uh, he did the best he could um, got, getting Desire from from the Colts, which I think a lot of Jets fans didn't see that coming. And uh, getting uh, Quincy Wilson, 
too. Um, do you think uh, Desir could uh, bring back the kind of play that he had in 2018 uh, for, for the Jets this year? Yeah, so cornerback is really interesting because you don't have that clear-cut number one guy, but Douglas did a good job of putting some depth together. You have Bless Austin, who finished last season really well. Arthur Millette, who probably isn't as talented or well-suited to be a starter as Austin, but he finished the season pretty well. And as you said, you had Desir and Quincy Wilson in there. Bryce Hall as well should probably compete this year. So there's a lot of competition, even if you don't have a clear-cut starter. So that's really good, and it's something the Jets haven't had, especially at that position over the past few years. Competition makes everyone better, and it helps you just as uh, as a coaching staff just make better decisions to see players be, be in a position where they have to fight for their roster spot. You get the best out of everybody in camp, so that's going to be really productive. But for Desir, he, he did have, uh, at least from a numbers perspective, a really good 2018 season especially down the stretch. He had a good game against DeAndre Hopkins in the wild card round to, to upset the Texans that season. And then he did battle some injuries this past season. So hopefully with a more healthy 2020 season, he can get back to that, to those 2018 numbers. But uh, Joe Blewett at Jets X Factor just did a film review on him. He didn't think his 2018 and 2019 were as different as the numbers say, but his, his, the injuries did coincide with his uh, production in terms of coverage going down in 2019. But So hopefully if he's healthy, he can be that number one guy. And it seems like he does have the best chance of being that number one corner just because of his, his experience. But um, I'm looking for a big breakout from Bless Austin. I really like what he did down the stretch, even though it didn't finish on a high note with him struggling against Pittsburgh, giving up that touchdown. Uh, then getting benched by Greg Williams. But for him as to even play last year, coming off of two ACL injuries, not practicing till October, sixth-round rookie, for him to even play was an ac- accomplishment. For him to play and play well for uh, a few a good stretch there over that, that stretch where the Jets had their three-game winning streak, went four and one. He, it was really impressive. So I'm looking forward to him uh, potentially stealing a starting spot and playing well this year. And I think he's a good fit in this defense. He's long. He's a good tackler underneath. And both of those things are themes across all the cornerbacks that the Jets have right now. So I think he's a good fit for this defense. What he did was really impressive last year. So I could see Desir and Austin being the two outside starters with Poole inside to start the year. And we'll see what they get out of those two guys. There's a lot of potential, but some downside as well. Yeah, um, definitely um, was, I think most Jets fans were kind of uh, taken aback by uh, Austin's uh, 2019 season Um, and also taken aback by the benching. And I think it's kind of a little bit uh, questionable. I don't think I've ever heard a real explanation to the reasoning behind his benching. Uh, I I, I think I've caught a few people uh, saying about probably in that Pittsburgh game that he probably did something to kind of uh, get his uh, his coach, his uh, defensive coach, Will, Greg Williams, mad at him. Um, did, did you catch anything of, of what, what that was? Well, the last play that he had in that game was a really bad mistake. It was that touchdown he gave up at the end of the first half with under 10 seconds left. Uh, he, he just took an inside position, and it, it was under 10 seconds left. The Jets, all they had to do was – uh, I believe it was third down. Even if it wasn't, there's was only 10 seconds left. All he had to do was keep the ball in the middle of the field. Pittsburgh would kick a field goal. But 
he gave up a touchdown there. So that was a really bad mistake. But like you said, it was really surprising to see that because, you know, players make those mistakes, especially corners, all the time. And it's not often you see them get benched after that, especially a player who was playing well like Austin was for the most part while he was out there. So it was pretty surprising, but, you know, hopefully he can, you know, make the most out of that, learn from it and come back stronger. But he clearly is going to have to earn some trust back from Greg Williams. But even with that mistake and the the poor first half against the Steelers, it was still a really promising uh, seven starts for him to close 2019. Yeah, um, I think we can't um, leave the, the, the defensive back room without uh, asking you a question about Marcus May and your uh, in, yeah, insight in the, into the kind of player he is. I think uh, I've heard Jets fans say he is very good, and um, I've heard people say, yes, he's good, but not as good as sometimes you hear people say he is. Uh, what is your take? Yeah, I think good is a good is good is a solid way to put it. He's obviously not a superstar, doesn't make quite enough. He doesn't really have the the speed or the athleticism to make too many game-changing plays, but I think he does his job really well. You don't get see him get beat very often, and I think that's where most of his value comes in. Not necessarily what you see him doing, but more so what you see him what you don't see him doing and that's getting beat and giving up big plays and coverage. You go back to the year before he came in, in 2016, you were seeing way too much of Marcus Gilchrist, especially, but also <laughs> Calvin Pryor. Uh, you're see, if you're see, the more you're seeing the free safety when you're watching on TV, the, the worse he's playing. You don't hear Marcus May's name too often. Uh, he executes his roles and coverage really well. Uh, and his tackling, he, does, he did have some bad missed tackles this year, but for the most part, he does – he, he made a lot of impressive stops to stop to prevent big plays as well. But I think the biggest thing with May is that in coverage, he, he does what he needs to do really well, very rarely botches a coverage. Uh, and that's what you need from him. The fact that the Jets did not give up a lot of big plays in the deep middle is uh, a testament to what he's doing. So I think he's, uh, especially next to Adams, that's where you get the best out of him because you could put Jamal Adams anywhere. He can play in the box you can feel comfortable doing what you want to do with Jamal Adams because you have Marcus May back there and you can feel comfortable with him as your single high safety doing what he needs to do and not uh, botching anything in the back end. So especially next to Adams, he's a perfect compliment to him, but he's a good solid starting free safety. Isn't going to make any game changing positive plays, but the most important thing is that he doesn't do too much negative. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's kind of my view on it too. Um, some uh, as a as a layman and not on your level, Mister Mister Narnia, but uh, kind of I kind of feel the same way about Marcus May. Um, I like I one of the reasons why I uh, uh, really wanted you to come on our podcast is because I enjoy the creative ways that your articles kind of put forth information. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the things I like is like how you kind of find a, 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 like I said, creative ways to get the numbers out there, get the information out there about specific things. Even if we as Jets fans know the answer, we don't know a why. And you normally give the why by giving the numbers. And I always, I always enjoy that. Um, one, I think one of the biggest questions with uh, Jets fans is the return of CJ Mosley and Avery Williamson. Um, what do you think on the impact of having these guys come back to the defense this year. Uh, what do you think that, how you think they're going to impact the defense? 
Well, first off, I really appreciate those comments. It means a lot to hear that. But uh, with with uh, Mosley and uh, Avery Williamson, I think it's going to make a much bigger impact than a lot of people realize because, you know, they were out for most of the season last year. You got two starts from Mosley. Avery missed the whole year. And the defense still played pretty well uh, about a, an above average level throughout, especially in the second half of the season. So they weren't missed in the sense that the defense was bad without them, but their replacements, I think, were a lot worse than a lot of people realized. James Burgess, Neville Hewitt, more so Hewitt. I think Burgess was better than him. But uh, those two guys, they missed a lot of tackles. They struggled in coverage. Uh, and it was one of the worst off-ball linebacker groups in the league in terms of whatever you look at, missed tackles, uh, yards allowed in coverage, passer rating, things like that. And Blake Cashman as well. I like Cashman's potential, but early on in the season, he clearly was not ready, especially against the run. Gave up uh, even in that Bills game. As soon as Mosley went out, the big play started coming, and that's mostly because of the downgrade uh, with Mosley coming out. But those two guys coming back is going to be so huge. Mosley, uh, Mosley with what he can do in coverage and against the run. Uh, he's another guy who, like Marcus May, is really good at preventing big plays in coverage, just because he knows his role so well, knows where to be. Uh, that's one of the things Baltimore did really well with him in the middle of that defense, they did not give a lot of big pass, give up a lot of big passing plays in the short middle where Mosley's covering. And in the games he missed with the Ravens, they gave up a lot more of those. So uh, Mosley coming back in both phases is going to help. And Williamson, we know that he's not the, the best in coverage, but against the run, he's about as good as they come at linebacker. Very few missed tackles, really good at tracking the ball down and finishing. So both those guys, you put those two guys together, that's a top three to five inside linebacker duo so it, it's going to be a huge upgrade and it's going to do a lot both against the run and in coverage yeah I can't wait to see that man um uh going back going back to defense and uh talking about Quinn and Williams um I think I think you were one of those big Quinn and Williams fans coming out of college and me too and I remember Joe Blewett too was one of them too and we we you know I always followed the um, the stats and stuff and the film that you guys always uh, put up, uh, but um, it was a really disappointing season for Quinton Williams. I mean, I mean, on the on a fan's perspective, uh, on a for somebody like you that followed the numbers and followed the film, what did you see from Quinton Williams? And do you think that he's on track to becoming a much more of what we thought he was going to be in college this year? Yeah, well, there's no doubt that it was disappointing. From the third overall pick, you definitely expect more than what he gave them. Uh, only had two and a half sacks, and none of those sacks are even really legitimate. Two of them were unblocked. Uh, and then even from a pressure perspective, the number of pressures that he had, that was below average as well. Not terrible. He was around the 30th to uh, around the 35th percentile in pressure. So below average, even if not terrible. But still, you expected a lot more than that. But I think he showed a lot more flashes than people realize because a lot of them didn't result in sacks or hits. There were, he had a lot of really good reps as a pass rusher that didn't really get noticed, but when you look back at it, they were there. So, and especially he played a lot better down the stretch. The last four games he played of the season, even though he missed the game against Baltimore, the last four games he played, his, uh, his win rate as a pass rusher, I went back and looked at every single rep he had tracked if he won every single one of those. And he was winning much more frequently the last four games of the season, especially in one-on-one -on -one battles. Early on, he was uh, used in stunts quite a bit, and he did a good job in that role, 
that's another underrated thing. I think he did like against the Cowboys, for example, he opened up uh, five pressures for teammates. So either hit on the quarterback or, uh, you know, knocking Prescott, uh, forcing his throw to be more difficult. He opened up five pressures for teammates as a stunt penetrator. So that's something he does uh, pretty well. But down the stretch, he had a lot more opportunities one-on-one and did a great job with those. So he finished the season strong as a pass rusher. And overall, his run defense throughout the season was very solid. He was near the top of the league in most run defense numbers in the top quarter among defensive tackles. So his run defense was solid, but the pass rushing is where he needs to improve to take that next step. And he did show quite a few signs down the stretch. So hopefully he can maintain that. And he did battle injuries throughout the season, had the ankle sprain in week one, missed a few games with that, neck injury later on. So, and he's still only 22 years old. He's the second youngest defensive tackle to play a game last year. So he's still young, had battled injuries, and he improved down the stretch. Uh, I, I definitely think he's going to break out this season. It's not a guarantee, but it's something that I feel pretty good about. It, he reminds me a lot of Jamal Adams from his rookie year to his second season. Adams was decent as a rookie, not terrible, but also not a star. But uh, there were things where, especially in coverage, where you could see if he could just make up an inch of ground, make little tweaks, he would be a superstar. And that's exactly what he did. So I think Quinn Williams is going to have a similar leap this year. Yeah, um, to from your lips to God's ears, man. Uh, I, I think I think uh, I, some some Jets fans would probably get paid paid money because they bet on the kid seeing his film coming out of college. So let's hope that happens. Um, uh, talking about your creativity and the way you you kind of show off your your numbers. Um, one of my one of your my favorite articles is actually all about the Jets' offense and uh, and their production. On a put on a down on per down basis, basically, um, and just the whole subject of Adam Gase and and the kind of a um, you know people vilify him in some ways and say that he's probably one of the worst offensive coaches in the NFL and all this stuff. Uh, can you give us a taste of your article and and uh, what did you find out about about the Jets' production on offensive wise and what Adam Gase had to do with that? Yeah, so so what I looked at was their their both their efficiency and the the number the pass run split from Adam Gase on every single down and distance uh, from first through third down. And one of the interesting trends is that on second and third down, he would kind of do the opposite of what what they what you would normally expect on second and third and long. He would run way more often than the league average, and then on second and third and short, he would throw more often than the league average. And I think that for the most part, if you can, if you're playing well, then it doesn't matter really what your style is. But I think that just didn't match up too well with what the Jets were doing because on those second and long run plays, the Jets were running much worse than any other team in the league because we know they did not have the linemen who could block for Bell at all. So uh, for him, it makes sense on second and long to try and get some yards back, uh, shorten that third down make that more manageable for you. But uh, the only two teams in the league who ran more than the Jets on second and long were the Vikings and the Ravens. Those two teams can run the ball really well. The Jets couldn't. So I think that he – it was. He, I think what he does is he'll have these notions of what he wants to do. He'll try to go against – he'll try to go against what you expect. Like the Bengals game, for example. They had the worst outside run defense of any team in the league, and the Jets didn't run outside a single time. So it's things like that where he's just 
trying to go a step too far instead of just going with what the obvious play is. But, you know, hopefully with better offensive line play, uh, things will be better for him. He, there are definitely some things he does well, especially in the passing game. He has a lot of con- a lot of concepts, especially in the second half. He worked it better to Sam Darnold's talents, and you saw flashes of that. I mean, he wouldn't have gotten this far without – we know he's not a, much of a people person, so he wouldn't have gotten this far <laughs> if he couldn't impress with what he knows from an X's and O's standpoint. So hopefully with better offensive line play, we could see more from him. Um, I'm definitely not – the type of person thinks he has zero chance whatsoever of being good. I don't think he will be. I don't think he's the coach that's going to get the Jets to the Super Bowl. But do I think he could? Is there somewhat of a chance, a, a more than zero chance? I, I do think so because, you know, just you've seen, you see flashes here and there. And what he had to deal with this past season with the injuries uh, and also the offensive line play would, would be really hard to overcome for any coach. So I'm willing to give him a chance. Not optimistic. There are things he needs to be better with, like I just mentioned. Uh, just sometimes be doing what's more obvious instead of trying to outsmart yourself. Uh, he can be better with that, but uh, I'm willing to see what he does with hopefully the offensive line playing better. Cool, man. Um, I think I think um, tying to tie that question to Sam. I mean, um, this guy uh, was given the keys to the Ferrari, if, if you would say, you know, this is the kid that we thought that would, um, or we still think that could be our savior as a, the best, the first good or great quarterback that the Jets have had in a very long time. Um, I think, I think uh, one, another of my favorite articles about, about, um, about Sam was a uh, hundred reasons <laughs> to believe in <laughs> Sam Donald. And <laughs> I'm still, I, I'm still trying to figure out how you came up with a, Hundred reasons, but man, can you? Give I us am a too. <laughs> can you give us a taste of that? Um, you know, some of the more profound numbers that you found out are the reasons why, as Jets fans, we should still believe in Sam Donald. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of good reasons to to still believe in him, just in terms of some of the things he's had to deal with. He he's still very young. Uh, he was a young was the youngest Week One starting quarterback in in league history. So obviously, right there, that just it should let you know that he's the type of player who could have a little bit more of a growth curve than most quarterbacks. And I think one of the things in recent NFL history that has kind of changed the way we look at quarterbacks a little bit, we've seen guys like Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Wentz, Goff. We've seen all these quarterbacks just break out, have these huge breakouts in year two. And it's kind of raised us to the level where that's what we expect from every quarterback, but before this recent wave, that was never the case. It took quarterbacks quite a long time to actually hit their ceilings. Most of them wouldn't even play for their first few seasons. So, uh, and if they did, it took them, uh, if they, they were usually a lot older than 21 years old. And if they did play, it usually wasn't until their third or fourth seasons until they hit their ceiling. So I think that Darnold could just be what has been the norm for quarterbacks throughout NFL history, which is taking their time to hit their ceiling. Uh, even Clearly, he's not one of these guys who have broken out by year two because he didn't do that, but just, he could just take some more time. And then in terms of the support that he's gotten from the offense, he took pressure on a higher percentage of dropbacks than any other quarterback in the league in 2019. That's going to you know have an effect on any quarterback, especially 22-year-old one who had mono in the beginning of the season. So I think there are a lot of legitimate reasons 
to understand why he hasn't exactly exploded yet. But at the same time, what's really impressive is that second half of 2019, he was 11th in passer rating, even though he still took the highest pressure rate over that span. So he improved down the stretch, even though the play around him wasn't getting any better. So I think that's what's most promising, the way he was able to finish 2019 strong. And even if his last couple games weren't the best against Pittsburgh and Buffalo, he had some really good games before that. Uh, and just overall, his second half was much improved over the roller coaster to start the year, even if the Jets weren't helping him out that much more. So I think it all stems, it all circles around the fact that he's so young and really should get time because of that. And the fact that the Jets just have not given him adequate help at all so far um, to, to get the worst offensive line play in the league. His receivers haven't, haven't been terrible, but definitely could be better. They've raised the ceiling there a little bit. We'll see if it gets better, but still, he just has not gotten a lot of help very young. And even in spite of that, he improved uh, down the stretch this season and even recovering from mono. And I know he played his best game, arguably in the first game back, but it's still something that probably had lingering effects for quite a while coming back from that. So it's promising how he finished the season, uh, especially his deep ball accuracy. That's something that's one of his biggest areas of weakness. And he improved that quite a bit in the second half of the season as uh, also improved his throwing under pressure as well. So it was a promising second half, uh, hopefully with improved uh, protection uh, and hopefully a healthy 16 games uh, because that's something he hasn't done either. Uh, he could take that next step, but still only 23 years old. I have plenty of hope for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, as all, I mean, fingers crossed, man. I'm I, all, all Jets fans are, we can't wait to see uh, what, what he can do. And, you know, um, my friend Davin over here is, is, uh, <laughs> it was uh, was not really a fan of UFC quarterbacks, so we're hoping that Chris and I are hoping no, that. No, I'm uh, not. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not, especially Mark Sanchez, but we'll get into that another time. <laughs> so we're, we're hoping that we can uh, win, win some money against Davin here. So um, with, uh, with the, all the new additions uh, at, with, on, on O-line, um, McGovern, Fant, um, how much of an impact are all those guys going to make? Do you think the line could be uh, at least above average uh, in this coming season? Well, I think the biggest move is adding McGovern. I think he's the guy who clearly has the best chance of being a substantial upgrade. Center has been a complete mess since Nick Mangold retired. I think that's been – all the positions have been bad, but that, I think that's been the worst uh, with Jonathan Harrison, Khalil, Spencer Long. Wesley Johnson, it's been terrible, but Connor McGovern is a borderline top 10 center. Could be better than that, considering he's only started at center for one season. So he's, he was a huge pickup. Uh, and then Becton is going to be a huge, ex, uh, a huge, uh, a really, imp- how he starts off, how quickly he starts off is going to be huge. We know how good his long term potential is, but in terms of this season, whether or not he could start out really quickly or if he's going to, you know, take his time to develop is going to be important this season. Because I think with Beecham, you had a, a decent pass protection. He, he was terrible in the run game, but decent in pass protection. So if you're going to – you will get an upgrade in the run game from Becton immediately. But in pass protection, it will be very important to see how quickly he starts there. Then at right tackle, that's going to be another huge battle 
because with George Fan, I think you have a, a lot of athletic upside, even though he is 28 years old. He's only started not even two seasons worth of games so far at tackle, and he's missed some times with injuries, has spent a lot of his time as an extra lineman. So there could be some untapped uh, potential there. Joe Blue is, uh, has a film review coming out pretty soon. He improved a lot down the stretch in 2019. So he could be, end up being a steal, but at the same time, the, the downside exists where he could you know, continue to struggle as he has throughout most of his career. So he's a huge, uh, a high ceiling and a low floor. And it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. And also Chuma Idoga is still there. Uh, it was a rough rookie season for him, but he had to switch positions multiple times. He was also a young rookie. So we'll see if he could take a second year leap. But uh, the result of that battle and what they get out of right tackle will be huge. And then I think Greg Van Roten is an important piece of this as well, because you have Brian Winters, who has been not quite as awful <laughs> as some of the guys around him, but still pretty bad. So hopefully with Greg Van Roten, you could get average play. I think that's about the type of player he is. And if he can be that, it would be a huge upgrade, I think. So overall, I think the goal is just to be around average this year. Even slightly below average would be okay because, you know, what we're what they're working from is having Le'Veon Bell, one, one of the most talented running backs in the league, ranking way down at the bottom in yards per carry and Sam Darnold uh, taking more pressure than any other quarterback. And so they're coming from the ground up. So if they can just be even close to average, that would be a huge jumping off point, especially when you have Becton potentially, you know, probably getting a lot better as the years go on. And then Cameron Clark waiting in the wings as well. So they're probably going to improve over the next few years. So if you can just be average or close to it this year, it's going to do a lot for them both this season and it would be a great platform for the future. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we have to deal with, uh, this, uh, thing they call COVID-19 and it's kind of short, shortened the off season and there might not be any kind of off um, pre uh, season games or anything like that. Do, um, is there any way they could uh, kind of uh, help the gelling process with the offensive line since they're not going to really have anything going in the off season? Well, you're right. It is a pretty legitimate concern, especially for this unit. You're looking at potentially four new starters. So it it is a pretty big concern, and it's going to be tough to deal with. Although a lot of teams will be dealing with it, but it will give a bigger advantage to teams that have, uh, who are bringing back the same starters, especially in the offensive line. That will be a huge plus for those teams, but it will be tough, I think, for them to, without without this training camp time, or even preseason time, it's going, it's going to be hard. It's going to be something they'll have to overcome. So uh, it'll be tough. I, and I'm, I'm interested to see how much this plays a role into this offensive line rebuild, because we talk about all these guys having high ceilings and low floors, but with the lack of chemistry, it's kind of hard to see them leaning towards that ceiling. So uh, this is definitely something that could have an impact on this unit in particular, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like you said, I think everybody's going to be suffering from that. But uh, we really need that, that unit to gel so that Sam could take that next step. Um, wide receivers. Um, talk about talk about how uh, um, individually, like guys like Perriman, bringing, them in, bringing him in, uh, could impact 
what Sam or what the offense does. Um, uh, Mims too. Um, he is a very special young man. Uh, um, even if he fell to the second round, which I thought that he was a little bit more talented than, than where he was taken. Um, speak about uh, the, the new group of, of um, wide receivers and will they help Sam or will help, will they help the offense take a jump in 2020? Well, what I really like about the Mims and Perriman pairing is that both of them are both of their best for both of them. Their best strength is being able to pull down contested passes. That's something that Sam Darnold has not had a lot of over the years, over the two years he's been with the team. Robbie Anderson made a few good contested catches down the stretch last year, but we know that's not really his strength. And other than that, he, there just has not been that type of target for him. So to have these, I think it just complements him really well because we know how much he likes to be aggressive. He's uh, just his overall mentality is aggressive. He likes to take the, the most, uh, the toughest shot on the field. Most of the time, that's what he's going to look to do. So, and his scrambling game is a big part of what he does. And that hasn't really been unlocked because you haven't had uh, that guy he can rely on in those situations. So I think both of them can complement him really well because of that skill set. And Perriman is, it's going to be interesting to see where he, another high ceiling, low floor guy, because what he did in December, he was second in the league in receiving, tied for the lead in touchdowns. He had a fantastic month of December, but he just didn't do anything in his career really before that since he was drafted in 2015. So hopefully it's too much to expect him to maintain what he did in December, but hopefully he settles somewhere in between that and can be uh, a, a, a little bit of an upgrade over Robbie Anderson. If he can get, if he takes the same amount of targets as Robbie had and he can be a little more efficient, make a few more big plays, uh, pull down some contested balls that Robbie Anderson wouldn't have. Then I think that's what they're looking for. And then for Mims, uh, it'll be interesting because, you know, usually you don't expect your second round receiver to come right in and play as big of a role as he probably will. But uh, we've seen rookies come in and have really, even last year, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, uh, Hollywood Brown and Baltimore. There were quite a few good rookie receivers last year. And that doesn't mean every rookie receiver plays that way, but uh, it, it's definitely possible. So he's going to get every opportunity and, and like you said, him slipping to the second round, I still do not understand how that happened. Uh, maybe eventually we'll find out and see what teams were looking at. But uh, it was surprising to see him there. I wanted him before the Jets trade down. So when they still got him, that was, uh, that was very exciting. But uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I really like him. His game is just – it looks like he's built to be a star receiver. His, his – uh, just the nuance and the subtlety to his route running at the top of his routes, even if he isn't the sharpest with his breaks. And uh, Joe Blewett went into a lot of the things he could do better technically. But what he does well is once the ball is in the air at the top of the route, he's able to get the defender off of him, use his hands in a way that doesn't draw penalties, but gives him the separation that he needs uh, to make the catch. We know how much speed he has. His ability to adjust to the ball and pull it down is phenomenal. As a blocker, that's huge as well. Their receivers, their wide receivers could not block for anything last year. But you put Denzel Mims in there, you look at some of the things that he did as a blocker. He clearly loves to do it. He's got a big body. He, he created a lot for them as a block for Baylor at, in the run game. So if he can carry that over, that's going to quietly be a really big upgrade 
in addition to whatever he does as receiver. So I'm very excited about Mims. Yeah, I think um, another name on that uh, in that wide receiver room is uh, Vincent Smith. Uh, we saw kind of uh, some flashes by by him. Um, what do you think his potential is? Yeah, they're definitely going to need someone to step up and be that uh, that fourth receiver. You have Crowder there in the slot, obviously. Crowder being right. a top ten slot, a slot option is definitely going to take a lot of load off the outside guys, but. Uh, they're going to need someone to step up as that third outside receiver. And Smith seems to be the favorite just based on the fact that he got playing time, a, lot, a good amount of playing time with them last season. Uh, I like him as a gadget option to emerge as that, you know, and we saw a lot of it last season, end arounds. He scored on one in Philly. Uh, they tried to tried to get him on a few – or the one flea flicker against the Giants, uh, made a couple of big plays near the end against Miami. Uh, so I, his speed in the open field is legitimate. I think there is a difference between guys who run the 40 well and guys who, you know, run well, run well with the football in their hands in the game. He definitely seems to have real game speed. I think you saw that quite a bit. So uh, I think he definitely could be that gadget guy, throw him a bubble screen, give him an end around, try to get him on a flea flicker, things like that uh, in that fourth, in that third wide receiver role, at least among the outside guys on the depth chart, but uh, we'll see if he can develop his all around game enough to the point where if they do need him to be a key target, uh, if he can be reliable in that role, but as long as he's down the depth chart a little bit and you could focus on just giving him those design touches, I do like him in that role. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, in my opinion, um, I think um, these guys could uh, emerge to be a little surprise for a lot of people. I think, I think on paper, when you look at them with the sub four, four speed and uh, Crowder getting open, always open. Um, I think, I think there's something there. Uh, I don't know how much it could be, but I think it's, there's something substantial there. Um, your article about on, on Le'Veon Bell is another really interesting, uh, right. Uh, that uh, something that you wrote, that I liked was um, you basically kind of uh, try to find out how much, you know, it, it, can he return to his elite status, basically? Um, uh, give us a, a kind of a, a, a what you saw uh, in the numbers uh, when you looked in. Yeah, so what really the main point of that was just to, just to take a look at how much different his numbers both could have been and could be this year if his blocking were, were just average, doesn't have to be great. Uh, but if his offensive line were average, what could he do? Could he still put up the numbers that he did in Pittsburgh? And what I found was, well, really the, the most important thing is that in terms of yards before contact, he averaged the fewest of any qualified, any starting running back in the league last year. So uh, if he could just get up to an average amount, of staying where he was after contact in terms of breaking tackles, uh, the amount of touches he got last year. And also as a receiver, he, he did a good job as a receiver last year. Wasn't the best receiving back in the league in terms of numbers, but he was up there in that five to 10 range in most numbers as a receiver. So if he keeps all those things, all those things, how involved he is uh, breaking tackles, creating after contact, but you just take the yards before contact up to an average level, he would be right back where he was not exactly because the Steelers fed him the ball a lot. Uh, definitely more than the Jets did. So he's probably not going to touch the ball that much. But if you just got up to an average level, 
in terms of run blocking. He could be right back up in that range where he could give you, you know, in the mid thousands in scrimmage yards uh, and be in that top 10 range among all running backs. So that's all they need to give him average run blocking. And he should be right back up in that elite conversation. Yeah. Um, on, on the, on the, probably the Jets are not giving him as much touches as he got when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, and also, um, tr- um, getting the kid, uh, LaMichael P Ryan from, uh, from Florida and getting Gore in, um, what roles do you think, uh, um, the Jets are looking into here with these two guys? Well, with Gore, I think, I think it's mostly off the field with Gore and you know, he's still take, he still took on a pretty big load for the bills last year was their starter at, at the beginning of the year. But I think on the field, there isn't, he doesn't have a ton left to offer. I, I mean, you know what he brings you just that downhill, more powerful change of pace uh, presence, maybe in short yardage. If you're looking to milk some clock at the end of the game, he can do that for you, but I don't see him, I don't see him having too big of a role but off the field, I think, is where he can really help, especially with Pirine. And he actually does have a decent track record of, you know, mentoring running backs that turned young running backs that turned out to be pretty good. Marlon Mack with the Colts, Kenyon Drake in Miami, uh, and Devin Singletary last year at the Bills. So he actually does have a good little track record there going of mentoring young running backs who have turned out to be very successful as starters. So hopefully Pirine can benefit from having Gore around. And I think Piran more so than Gore, if they need someone to come in in the passing game to relieve Bell, if they want someone just as a pass protector, check down option, that might be where he comes in. But it depends on how ready he is. Another, And also that's another factor with the rookies not getting the chance to even have their rookie mini camp or if they're going to miss training camp time, it's going to have a big impact on them and their ability to come in right away. So Gore could help out if P, uh, take over most of the RB2 snaps if Pirine isn't ready. But uh, I do like Pirine quite a bit to be a, a Bilal Powell type for them long-term. He's just a really fundamentally sound player, pass protection, doesn't drop the ball a lot, doesn't fumble the ball a lot, uh, and just is that type of runner like Powell, a downhill, aggressive player who hits the hole really hard with not a ton of patience and is able to get you good chunk gains and, and he has underrated long speed. He had a few big runs at, uh, for the Gators last year over the past couple of years. So uh, P. Ryan, I do like it. Immediately, I think he should be good in a backup role. And uh, long-term, he could be, if not Bilal Powell, uh, you know, even a decent starter for them, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot of Jets fans are asking the question about um, having uh, that many running backs. So what the question um, – what their roles are. Um, thanks for answering that. Um, I, I think with, with everything, um, what you do um, and analytics wise, um, putting all this info together, what the off season has been, uh, Joe Douglas, uh, it seems like he has kind of taken the Jets in a slightly different direction. Uh, I think the Met, them, I think there's kind of been a, uh, stay on message thing that 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 is happening that we haven't seen in a while in Jetsland. Um, uh, put your put, kind of put your un- analytics hat on and tell us w- what do you think all this means uh, uh, for the 2020 Jets? Do you think this all uh, could come together? And how do you see the team uh, performing this year? 
Well, I think it all comes down to the offensive line first and foremost because, you know, the defense was pretty solid last year, and it can be a lot better with Mosley and Williamson, but it's all going to come down to Sam Darnold's development. And what that all revolves around is the offensive line. So if that unit can be, as I said, just average, and you can unlock Le'Veon Bell, get him back to playing at an elite level, and then Darnold, I think, with I think the same thing will happen for him. If the if the O line could be just average, he can be a really good quarterback. As as soon as this year, I could see him being in that you know maybe maybe top ten, but somewhere in that twelve to fourteen range. If they could protect him well and give him an actual chance, and then down the line he could ascend further than that. But uh, you look at what Darnold has done in the few games where the Jets have actually protected him well, uh, given up a pressure rate below the league average. In those games, he's only had eight of them out of the 26 he's played so far. But the Jets have gone 7-1, and one, averaged about 27 points per game, and his passer rating has been, uh, I believe, 117, but really high. He's performed really well. The Jets have gone 7-1 and one and scored quite a bit on offense when they've protected Sam Darnold. So we've already seen that if they help him out, he's going to take full advantage and then some. So if they can protect him well, I think that's what it all comes down to. And in terms of Douglas, I really like what he's done so far. I just like his approach overall. It seems like he knows uh, what what his vision of a Jets player looks like and has been really committed to getting those players. He's talked so much about character, getting good character guys. Every team talks about it, but he's stayed really committed to that with the entire draft class, all the free agency moves, legitimate high-character guys. Uh, he wasn't just talking when he said that he's really trying to do that. And that really helps you build stability. So uh, just overall Douglas, and also another thing just with free agency and this Jamal Adams saga, he's not going to get pulled around. And I think that is a really important thing. It's going to help the jets save a lot of money in negotiations. It's going to help them get, you know, get some free agents who they usually wouldn't get or at more affordable prices than someone like Mike McCagnan might have. So he, he's just really been so balanced and just committed to his vision throughout everything. And it all comes down to the players actually playing good, of course. But the way he's gone about this offseason has seemed just really well thought out. So I, I definitely think he is the guy long term. Will it lead to immediate Super Bowl contention in 2020? Probably not. But this is a team, especially Tom Brady's gone. There's an extra wild card. I definitely think they could – win somewhere they could win nine I could see them winning nine games this year maybe 10 if everything or 10 or 11 if everything breaks right but I see them in that eight to nine win range which is a great stepping stone going forward and uh, in a wide open division in a conference that now has seven wild cards that could be enough for the playoffs but uh, I think the goal for them is to the goal is probably the main goal is Sam Darnold but in terms of wins I think eight or nine is a reasonable place, but where you really want to be is knowing you have your franchise quarterback at the end of the season. But my prediction right now would probably be eight wins, but I could definitely see them winning a couple more than that. But a lot of things would have to break right, but eight would be my prediction right now. Cool, man. I, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, uh, I, Michael, Narnia, man, um, thank you so much for coming through. Um, we enjoy your articles. I think um, I think um, Jets X Factor is doing some good, um, not only for um, informing Jets fans. Um, I think all Jets fans should 
actually try to get a membership in because you guys also um uh, i um uh, you guys are contributing a part of your um your subscription stuff to um to new york's uh united way right yes mm-hmm. yeah so um Hey, Sharma, so before, uh, before you leave out, Sharma, could I ask uh, yeah. Nani a question real quick? Hey, hey Nani, um, <clears throat> I had a question about, I had a question about the, uh, the rush, the past, the edge rusher. Uh, we haven't really had a great edge rusher in a while. Do you expect in players like Jordan Jenkins to try to maybe turn it up a notch this season? Or do you have any players in mind that can, uh, maybe, you know, bring in some sacks? Cause we had that problem at edge rusher for so many years Jets fans are very aggravated (laughs) yeah it's definitely been a problem for a long time but uh, you know it's tough because they they had to focus on the offense so much you know make moves at the O-line they had to replace Robbie Anderson they weren't really able to get to it with the big move this offseason so definitely next offseason I think that this I think it'll be the top priority when we when we come to this time next year free agency in the draft, that'll be where they look. But in terms of the guys they have, I think with Jenkins and Basham, they can give you really good – and Kyle Phillips also, really good run defense. But in, in the passing game, they're, they're not the worst in the league. I think there are teams that are worse, but they're still probably below average. And, and Jenkins has brought his sacks up every single season. But in terms of pressure, he's still about average. But the, the guy I'm looking at is Bryce Huff, even though he's undrafted. Yes. Uh, I mean – he probably should have been drafted. His pro day was canceled. He didn't get invited to the combine. So it was just really odd to see him get undrafted. He was near the top of the entire nation in pressures at Memphis last year. So it's Mm. it's a lot to expect an undrafted free agent to come in and fix such a big need, but he could do it. And Jabari Zuniga as well. Uh, He'll be an interesting wild card. I think, I think he has the ability to do it as well. He, He was playing like, he was producing like a first rounder uh, in 2019. He missed a few games uh, and that kind of hurt his draft stock a little bit, but he is playing a lot better this season. So those two rookies I'm looking at, but in terms of the starters with Terrell Basham, Jordan Jenkins, if you want to throw Kyle Phillips in there, uh, I definitely think that you're probably not going to get too much more than they have given you, which is below average pass rushing, not the worst, but below average. So it, it, they do need a big move next season, but I'm looking at those two rookies, Huff and Zuniga, and again, undrafted free agent, don't want to set the expectations too high, but his numbers were great. Joe Blewett looked at his film, and it was very good for an undrafted, for an undrafted player. So I'm curious to see what those two guys do. But, but like you said, it's, this has been a huge need for a while. Hopefully <laughs> next season right. is when they, they make that big move. Right. And also uh, with Greg Williams, uh, I know last season, uh, I know fans has been complaining that uh, our schedule was like kind of like subpar, I will say. Uh, with this tough season going on, do you think Greg Williams could could uh, have a, a good defense, like a maybe above average defense with the tough schedule that we have this season? Yeah, it, it was definitely a schedule that, that I, they did get some favors down the stretch. I mean, you had two rookie quarterbacks with uh, the with Haskins and Jones. Uh, so they and then you had the Steelers later on and the Bills in Week 17 who weren't even playing their starters. So they did get some breaks, but I still think they they the Jets also themselves had, were dealing with a ton of injuries throughout the season. Didn't have their linebackers all year. Cornerback was a revolving door. Had no edge rush. 
So uh, at the same time, schedule is easy. They also didn't, Jets didn't have all their talent. So hopefully Mosley and Williamson coming back can offset that. If Quinn and Williams takes a big leap, that'll help also. But uh, it'll be interesting because the schedule does look really hard. But I think that, you know, hopefully if, you know, if there, well, not that there hopefully aren't fans, but from Jets perspective, if there aren't fans, Seattle, that becomes a lot easier. Kansas City, that it could help the, you know, playing on the road not quite be as difficult. So, but there, there are a lot of tough offenses on the schedule. You got to play Mahomes, you got to play Russell Wilson. Now Buffalo's got an impressive trio of receivers. So, but I think mostly Williamson is going to help a lot more than a lot of people are talking about just because of the, the linebackers that took their place are very, very good backups. I think Burgess, Hewitt, uh, you add Patrick Owasso in there and you have Blake Cashman. That's some really good depth at linebacker. But as starters, Mosley and Williamson are a huge step up from those two guys. So I think that's going to add a lot more talent. Uh, it, it's like you're adding two very good starters that you, they just did not have last season. So uh, I think those guys are going to offset the, improve, offset the increase in schedule difficulty a little bit. So I think this could be a, definitely an above-average defense again. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Chris, do you have any questions? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, Michael, who do you think at the end of this season, if we get through the season, obviously, um, give me two names out of the newcomers, especially the like undrafted guys or the lower draft picks. Who do you think we'll be talking about saying, wow, that guy's a keeper? I think m- maybe not this season, but Cameron Clark, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be a long-term piece on the offensive line. His, his tape was really good for a fourth round pick in the game. He played against Clemson. He was just throwing people everywhere. Like it was nothing. I think he's going. And also he has some chemistry with Becton already from before the draft. So I I think he's going to turn out to be a keeper out of the fourth round. Uh, And then in terms of the undrafted guys already mentioned Bryce Huff, but I think another guy to look out for is Jared Hilbers, the offensive tackle he signed from Washington. He got the biggest guarantee out of any of the offensive undrafted free agents they signed. Uh, and, and just because the at offensive tackle, you don't really have a fourth guy after Becton, Fant, and Edoga. So there is some room there for a tackle to slide in and steal a roster spot. Uh, Hilbers gave up very low amount of pressure for Washington. So I think he's a guy I'm going to look out for as a potential uh, steal, a, poten- a potential unheralded uh, undrafted guy makes the team. But I like Clark long-term. I, I feel unusually good for him, for a fourth-round pick from Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, better, than I, better than I think you would usually feel about this kind of player. But his tape is really impressive. Okay. Yeah, he's one of those. He, he has a nasty streak, man. I, I yeah, really like And it. you put him and Becton next to each other and go from yeah. Kelvin Beecham and, you know, <laughs> and some of the guys we've had at left guard, the 20 different guards we've had there, uh, to what Clark and Becton could do with their ceilings. Uh, that could be pretty exciting. Yes, sir. Most definitely. Um, but, uh, oh, I was about to say, go right ahead, Sharman. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was about to say, uh, if it wasn't any more questions, uh, I was going to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, could you give uh, could you give the people your uh, your Twitter, um, basically your Twitter and the Jax Factor uh, Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter, it's Michael underscore Nania, N-A-N-I-A. Jets X Factor is 
Jets X Factor, no spaces. Uh, and the website is jetsxfactor.com. As you mentioned earlier, we are donating portion of subscriptions to United Way in New York uh, for COVID-19 relief. So uh, definitely take advantage of that. It, it's been it's been really good to do that. Definitely want to help out however we can. But uh, but yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. This was this was a ton of fun to do. <laughs> well, we appreciate you having. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate having you, and hopefully in the near future we can have you again. Um, about to say, so that's it for our podcast. That's it for the episode. Uh, please make sure to follow us at Just Fans Podcast on Twitter. And again, we love doing this for y'all. We do this every week. But until next time, we're taking flight. Take flight. Take flight.